Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling. I'm Graham Orgos, and joining me, of course, is Bradley Wiggins. Brad, episode three, season two. Bang into it. This is where we really start to get going this now. Is, yeah, it's where we yeah. found, our, found our feet. Special the, guest today. The strength and our legs. A very special guest. I don't know why I'm also, talking in a northern accent, but <laughs> it's quite sure weird, we'll sort that out. He also calls Eurosport his home, the home of cycling. Uh, yeah. He's, he's been calling the, the Tour of Catalonia for us this week. Matt Stevens. Yeah, lovely to be here. Welcome. Well, thank you for being here. Looking forward to having a good natter. Gents, it's, it's Sunday afternoon as we're recording. When our listeners are downloading, it will be Monday morning, it will be April Fool's Day. So I wanted to start, before we properly get into it, uh, on a sort of April Fool's theme. You often get a lot of sort of rogue headlines for April Fool's Day, you know, we've we've fooled our readers, we've told them this. So I wanted to ask you both, Brad, probably starting with you, Mm. what is the strangest headline or the most amusing headline you've ever read about yourself? I don't know, actually, to be honest. I can't think of one that springs to mind. I'm sure there would be something... There's got to be a lot of strange ones out there. We'll see if we can dig one out. Yeah, I, there's been that many over the years. I just I can't think of any off the top of my head, really. You should it's have got, asked me this before. I shouldn't have put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, this wasn't this problem. Problem. Yeah. I, I can assure you, this wasn't planned. We're both Sorry. on the edge. I, for me, for you, it's the sun with the cutaway sideburns. Not really a headline. It's the, no, it's the headline. fact that you had to cut, cut out and keep. keep. Sideburns. Yeah, no, the, only head, the best the headline I could ever think of was me where I had... Uh, I had a cheeky cigarette the week after I won the tour uh, in Mallorca, yeah. and uh, the headline was Sigo. I thought it was brilliant. That's a classic headline. Yeah. 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 yeah, which is Matt. quite good for the sun. Well, I mean, let's be honest with you. I didn't get quite as many headlines as uh, Sir Bradley. No, so I thought, I thought you might uh, So they're a little bit deep. more, they're more like the, the kind of like the Hemel Hempstead Bugle was the kind of uh, papers I used to get headlines in. But there's one from a, a, a one race many, many years ago in Germany, and it's a German title and it doesn't it's, it's not sensational but i just like the sound of it the jung brit stevens gewinnt hessen runfart that's my favorite that you've got it in german style as well yeah yeah just off the top of your head because yeah. this wasn't pratt no no it wasn't i just kind of you he's know, got it tattooed on yeah that's <laughs> it we'll, we'll look at it's that worth, later words to live by now um so matt you've been calling the tour of catalonia for us this week yep thrilling from start to finish actually it's been one for the breaks it's been one for the sprints it's been one for the proper mountain men how have you seen it it's been great it's, it's always a good race uh, and it's one of the oldest on the calendar as well 99th edition so a race with real heritage history um some of the best riders of all time some of the all-time greats have, have won that race and um from start to finish it was a stacked field you know uh, chris Froome was riding miguel angel lopez riding simon and adam yates uh, were riding to name but a few and the opening stage started with a bang you know uh, mr breakaway himself thomas de Gent got in a move and a couple of people tweeted so i wonder if thomas de Gent's going to get away to and he did and then clipped off left the rest behind and and soloed to, i mean it was amazing. The bunch were chasing. You know, there's like several teams, sprinters teams chasing on the rolling run into the line. And with about 15 k's to go, they just sat up so, so strong. But that, that really set the tone for the race. Two spe- 
spectacular mountaintop finishes. Adam Yates winning one, Miguel Angel Lopez stolen to victory on another. And then two other fantastic breakaways, Maximilian Schachmann, what an engine he is. And then a, a wonderful resurgent ride by Davide Fodmolo today to hold off the pack, riding solo around the finishing circuit in Montjuic in Barcelona. It's been a fantastic week, and I was saying to Carlton on air, a real advert you know, for, for pro cycling, wonderful racing from start to finish. A it really treat. has been, hasn't it? Yeah. So, so, I mean, you've mentioned the, the sort of the main contenders there, very much a Colombian feel to it. So Superman Lopez obviously taking the GC by 14 seconds in the end from Adam Yates. And then Egan Bernal uh, also on the podium. Obviously, we've seen a lot from him already this season. Um, and then Nairo Quintana, who sort of woke up towards the end of the race, didn't he? Yeah, he took, a, he took a fair bit of heat for the relatively negative way that he rode on the two mountaintop finishes. He got away a couple of times with Bernal and with Yates and just refused to ride. And I think that's where the race was won and lost because Lopez took the initiative, but he had the legs to back it up as well and seized on a moment. And races often, as Brad knows, are hinge, hinge on moments where you make a decision. Sometimes it's the wrong decision, but when you get a combination of the two, a wrong decision from one rider, the right one from another, and the legs to back it up. That is where Miguel Angel Lopez set the, uh, well, set the foundation for his overall stage race win because you know his team were kind of struggling near the back end. But um, if you get to watch the highlights, it, it's wonderful, great racing. Just on today's uh, stage as well. So as you say, won by Davide Formula. In that last 10k, the the virtual GC sort of almost ebbed and flowed between Yates and, and Lopez, sort of almost on every pedal stroke. Yeah, it was a theme that went throughout the race. Every stage was was a real thriller, um, right the way down to the end. Going into the final stage, Yates was only 14 seconds behind. Bernal was at 17 seconds, and then. Uh, you know, Sky, Mobistar, and Richardson Scott went on the offensive. And yeah, uh, Adam Yates went clear. Simon Yates then jumped across the gap. James Knox, another young British rider, you know, really impressive young talent, was already in the early break. He'd come back. So he had these three British riders chasing Formolo. And then for the first time, um, Miguel Angel Lopez on the back foot. Uh, fascinating finale, but it, it did all come back together. Formolo stayed away. And uh, Lopez so the win. last stage as well. Oh, so hard. Yeah. I mean, it was shredded, really shredded the field. I felt like for quite a lot of the week, the Colombians are riding together. And then today, obviously, you've had the, the Yates twins and your old team Wiggins man James Knox riding together was that often something that would come up when you were racing Brad or well it... I, don't, I don't think it's purposely obviously it might appear that way I yeah. think when you get down to the nitty gritty at the end of the day and, and someone a countryman is losing the race and you've got nothing to gain from it there may be some combinations up and you might try and help you know in a similar position to a Briton or something you might I may try and help Steve Cummins in a position where the, the race is lost for me it does happen at certain times you always want to see a countryman do well especially you know a country like Colombia most of them are quite good friends and stuff but that that stage that's a tough way to finish a tough mm. week I mean that's the course the world's course from 73 when mm. Jimondi won famously on one of those famous films and it's just I think they do seven laps of that eight, seven, eight, 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 eight laps eight, eight laps it's a grippy day it's it's short, is, uh, you're either going up or down aren't you yeah it's 6.8 kilometres round so it's like a little comess but brutal hardly any respite yeah. at all so yes yeah, tough race one man that we've we've not really spoken about at, at great length on, on the pod so far um, and who had a, a, a few headlines early on in the Tour of Catalonia was Chris Froome because um, he obviously crashed out and, and well didn't crash out but crashed got back up um, and rejoined the field but he lost an awful lot of time early on Matt I think it was stage one or yeah. stage one or stage two I think it was the stage that uh, De Gent was away uh, but yeah he crashed and there was no immediate there was no effort for him to, to try and chase to get back on took a knock to his knee nothing out in the order in terms of injuries but that sadly set the tone for Froome's race but to be honest with you looking at the way he was riding I think he was always going to be riding in the support of Egan Bernal anyway mm. um, but obviously it's not the sort of start he wanted rode a lot earlier on today and then pulled the pin only second time up 
and, and second time on the climb. So not an ideal week, but again, we come on air quite late, so I've no doubt there's a lot of time when he's actually riding in the wind. You never see that quite often. So I think he had a good week's workout, but clearly not the result. And for a rider of his kind of stature, you know, people are always going to focus the spotlight a little bit on him and, and yeah. ask, ask some questions, aren't they, Brad? Yeah, I, d- I don't think he's going to be too concerned. He's, he's an old hat at this now, really. I mean, he's probably still the greatest tour rider of our generation and continues to be, I think, that we were talking earlier. He's my favourite for the Tour de France this year. You know, he's, he's the old master at this now. He knows how to prepare to win a Grand Tour. And I think, although we're all looking and talking and there's a lot of speculation about how his form is and where he's at, I think in his mind and his confidence, his stature within that team, the likes of Bernal will look up to Chris and they'll take their opportunity now. And in some ways, they'll they'll kind of have to pinch themselves that this is Chris Froome, the Tour de France winner, riding for me. I've just won Tirana Adria, or Paris-Nice, whatever he won. Paris-Nice, wasn't it? And they'll, they'll just make the most of it while they can because they know once he comes into form, you know, Chris is going to be up there gunning for the Tour de France. But he's had years where he's won everything or he's finished second in Torino and he's won Romandy or he's won Dauphiné. He's had up and down years. He's had years where he's done nothing and finished fourth in Dauphiné and then gone on to have his best tour. So I don't. he's had every type of run into the tour and, I, and, and this will just be a rung on the ladder. I think he'll be f- happy that he finished the week pretty much, barring a couple of laps of the last stage today. And they'll go off now and start their altitude training camps and things like that. And this is still very early in the season, although a lot of people kind of looking at him now and seeing where he's at in terms of tour preparation... I don't think this will really concern him at this stage. I think that's a really interesting point. You said that he's, you know, his trajectory to tour wins has been different on every occasion. Yeah. It, they've been successful. And well, look been, at the Giro been, last year. Yeah. I mean, uh, he is a rider that, whether you like him or not, you, you cannot write him off at your peril. You know, six Grand Tour victories yeah. in his career, remarkably confident. And also, you know, you look at his demeanour kind of off the bike a little bit throughout Catalonia. You know, uh, there was one stage, the stage that uh, was won by Maximilian Schachmann, uh, Banal got a problem with his bike and had to walk across the line. And then we saw Chris Froome pick him up and Banal was sat in his handlebars and he was tweeting about it. He seems quite relaxed. He's obviously I don't think he's worried. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Look, let's be honest. I don't think it's an ideal running. Nobody wants to crash, but that's bike racing. It looks like he's, we've yet to hear confirmation, but it looks like he's going to add the Tour de Alps to his programme. I think he's going to be fine. You yeah, know, yeah, I yeah. really do. So you mentioned the crash there, Matt. We've actually got, as Colton called it. And that is not what you need to see at all, I'm afraid. Oh, so Chris Froome goodness. involved as well. Froome is down. He yes, he is. Okay. So that's his. That's Froome's second big crash of the season after having come down at the Tour of Columbia as well. Does it get harder if you've had two big bangs in two big stage races like that to be able to get up, recover again when you've still got it in the back of your mind that well, oh, this has already happened? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, cycling. It's become part and parcel of cycling now more than ever. I mean, he crashed in the Tour last year, didn't he? And spent most of the first couple of weeks that one minute thirty down on on Geraint that he'd lost, and then subsequently lost more. But you know, it's part and parcel of cycling now. There are crashes every week, and then I think we had Adam on the other week talking about the lack of respect in the peloton mm. now, and it doesn't matter who you are. Riders all think they can win. Every rider's up at the front now. There's no hierarchy anymore. And if we, if he's someone who's won six Grand Tours and there's a rider, you know, Chris is going to come off worst. And it's a shame, but it's part and parcel of cycling. But he's quite a resilient bloke as well, Chris. I don't think he's going to, you know, he will get up, dust himself down. If nothing's broken, you get used, as Matt will tell you, you get used to dealing with, you know, the sheets sticking to you in bed and stuff like that. And, and it's part and parcel of cycling. The physios, the doctors, they'll all be, they'll be all over it with him and he'll be covered in that kind of white fishnet stuff they put on you. And um, he'll just be cracking on. 
And he's not going to be looking around him, do we think? Looking at Garrett Thomas having won the tour last year, looking at Egan Bernal's form this year, yeah. just how powerful he's been. I think, you know, Bernal, let's make no bones about it, is a prodigiously talented young rider and will win Grand Tours in the future. Whether it's at the Giro this year, we don't know because you've got guys like Miguel Angel Lopez snapping at his heels. That's going to be a fascinating battle in the Giro. And then there's even talk uh, of uh, Bernal actually riding the Tour as well. I know Team Sky are going to make a decision post-Giro on that, but to have Bernal... Thomas and uh, and Froome in the tour together is going to be is going to be fascinating. But no, I think uh, you take those bumps as as, as you go along. Um, the important thing is that Zach Froome has actually managed to ride this week and got those miles in. Mm. Um, when you're crashing and you're actually out of the game and having to sit at home with your feet up, that's when it becomes a little bit of a concern because you've got to make those miles up somehow. Uh, but thankfully, Froome has been able to ride through those injuries, so I don't think he'll be too bothered. No, I don't think he will be at all. He's again, he's an old hat at this, and he's had every type of problem in a lead up to a Grand Tour victory. You can imagine. Going back, even when I was there, he'd hit a car out, he'd hit someone out training in Monaco, walking across the road and stuff. So, do you think where he was this time last year in the preparation for the Giro with the whole, you know, kind of Salbutamol thing hanging over his head and the kind of question marks, is he in form, isn't he? You know, and he just came right literally on the last mountain stage in the Giro last yeah. year. So, I, I think that, again, that's an interesting point because you, you talk about the physical demands of, of recuperating from, a, from an injury and then whatever your thoughts on that case. I think that was far more stressful than actually having a couple of knocks in Colombia. I, I think he's actually probably going to be in a better place mentally. Yeah, that just shows the guy's general resilience. And then like the hostility more faced as well. That's what I mean. That whole kind yeah. of pressure cooker atmosphere leading into the Giro. Let's be honest, most journalists, most observers wrote him off. Yeah. Uh, and he came through and won because he's got remarkable self-confidence and a remarkable physiology. And, and I, he actually I'm, doesn't give a sh- to be honest, no, no, I think he's, he's, just, he's, skin. he's, yeah, yeah. he's um, you know, yes, mental resilience is amazing. Is that something you have to develop as a sky rider? And is that something? Well, that's... not as a sky rider. Let's not. <laughs> it's not necessarily <laughs> something you're, I mean, I think something yeah, you're born I think, with. Yeah, I think most athletes at that level. I've said it a few times, but you've got to be. I don't know. Can we say this? Because you've got to be a bit of a. <laughs> athletes at, at that level I mean I'm not talking about winning one grand tour but when you've won six a bit like you know whether you're Steve Redgrave or you're people that just win year after year you've got to have something about you and that doesn't mean you're going around kicking pigeons up the arse in the street you know you're able to I mean he's got a wife and two kids don't forget and he is able to focus on, on what he does with their support as well and just be self-centred, selfish, and just get the job done. And he, he does that year after year. Yeah, you'll be carrying yourself in a different... With, with that sort of, you know, uh, Palmares, the confidence that must give you, because I can't speak from experience because I'm not that calibre of a rider. You have but won not, the Mersey Division. But, but three, I've won, well, three times in a row. <laughs> let, let's make no bones about it. So, yeah, maybe I am on a similar level. the first man on this podcast uh, to have done such a well, thing as well. No, I didn't, I'm glad it was you guys that said that, not me. It would have seemed a bit boastful. But, no, he is a remarkably resilient athlete, both physically and, and, and mentally, and, you, yeah, don't write him off. Was that ever something that Dave Brailsford focused on when, when you were with Sky, Brad? That whole, look, don't worry about what's going on out there. Don't worry about what they're going to say about you. Because we often see yeah. it with, with, with teams mean, across all sports that that can bind you together and actually uh, sort of galvanise you too. Yeah, I think, I think that's just become part and parcel of Team Sky now is all this noise. I mean, Dave kind of leads that ship, doesn't he? And you think what's happened the last couple of years and the, the amount of pressure Dave's been under. He kind of does lead by example in that and it's kind of like he is capable of just shutting out the whole outside world and just focus on what you're doing which is quite difficult now when riders are trying to promote themselves on social media and yep. stuff to, to not see what people are saying to you so I think you know that it, it's the way that the team is run and it kind of feeds down to the riders really they they do just focus 
on what they're doing. And I mean, I only watched the tour from afar last year from Eurosport, but you were there. And yeah. those first few days, what the team as a whole went through in terms of hostility, <laughs> and they were able to put that to one side and actually just focus on the job in hand and what they were doing. They kept saying that. They were quite repetitive it, about it, what they were I'll saying. Tell you what, it, it was, was quite impressive. It was, it was pretty horrible, you know, especially the first five or six days. You know, I was, at the, as Brad said, at the start and at the finish, hanging around where the riders sign on, where you get this kind of group of uh, spectators generally, fans, whatever you want to call them. But uh, they were getting booed and heckled, and, and the boos it and the heckles times, were, were louder than the, the ripple yeah. of applause that were given to any other team. But then, as Thomas moved into the jersey, kind of midway through the race in the Alps, and then the race went on into week number three. The whole mood changed. Um, but that must be hard, you know. Um, whatever you say about it, that's tough. You know, when you're, you're going out there, you know, you've got a family and stuff, and you're just trying to apply your trade and do the best you can and, and also entertain people mm-hmm. and also be role models, yet you're getting abuse like that. You've got to be tough because a lot of people will crack mentally, you know. But then the mood did shift because it was, well, we don't to repeat what happened at the tour. It was a great battle, wasn't it? Yeah. But they both you know, carried themselves with respect, I think. It looks as though we're going to have an, another sort of who's the leader situation almost, as we had I last think we Sunday. Are. Yeah. So yeah. if you're Garrett Thomas going into it feeling like, well, look, I'm the holder of the yellow jersey here. I should be the main man. If there's, if there's any question about it, surely I've got to be number one, right? Well, you'd think that, but I mean... It's dependent on form as well, isn't it, really? I mean, he's, I think he's said, hasn't he, if I'm right in saying, that he would like to win again and like yeah. to be the leader as defending champion Sorry, as well. Don't, don't worry about it this year. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's. I know they kept saying that it was all for Chris and that, but Chris, when the time came, gave his race to Geraint, and I think the form basically kind of decided yeah. that. It came out in the wash, didn't it? But I don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, we sit here every year with Sky, didn't we? Even when I was there, I'm thinking, who's going to be the leader? I mean... It really does come down to, and, and this was what Dave would say, is, you know, let it play out in the race. They may start again with two leaders again and see how the race pans out. Mm. And they can do that because they've got the strength in depth. When you've got the likes of Kwiatowski, Bernal, and all right. the Val Pals and these guys, they've got such a strong team that they're able to start with two leaders. Yeah, even with, you know, I think they're starting with two leaders, but only eight-man teams. It's a big call, but yeah. At the moment, neither Thomas nor Froome have actually shown anything on the road. You know, really, so it's quite an interesting... It's going to be quite interesting, but, uh, you know, I think in in respect of of Geron, I think uh, they'll keep it open, and and I think the decision we made out on the road, I I really do. Uh, Unless, of course... You know, we're only in April the first. Remember, you know, we've got the, we've got we've got Romandy, we've got the classics, we've got the Giro to go. Although, of course, G and and and, and Froome aren't riding that. Um, and look at what happened today: Bardet down, collarbone. You know, it could be yeah, you know, it's a screwy season. Um, yeah. Warren Budgie carried off. We don't know whether he's got a fracture to his pelvis. The first week you know, of the tour as well. That yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 so much that could change between here and now. Uh, between uh, now and the tour, sorry. Two other British riders who have shown just how strong they are at the Catalonia: Adam Yates mm. finishing second in GC overall, taking a stage, and James Knox. Let's start with. With Adam, who do we feel a little bit sorry for him? Second place again, another after coming second, having come so close to taking Toronto Adratico, and then today having been, as we said, virtual GC, he's first, he's second, he's first, he's second. Do we feel a little bit sorry for him? I only feel sorry for him for, uh, from one side, I think, because he put so much in, and uh, I just like the fact that he attacked. There was a lot, they rode with a lot of swagger today, and and so did actually, so did Quintana, so did mm. Movistar. They threw everything they could at Miguel Angel Lopez, uh, and it, it was. It's the first time I think I've seen you know both the Yates brothers in, in a move that could have changed the face face of a race but it's not too bad is it you know second overall in two of the hardest one week stage races of the year so far not bad at um, all so I, d- I think in terms of his condition actually um, he faded towards the back end and that's just bike racing I mean it yeah. wasn't just down to chance you know Formolo he, he shut the gap to 35 seconds
seconds in Formula Road away. He just didn't quite have the legs. And that was the difference today. So it was down on the podium in second at 14 seconds. They, well, I did my best. You know, I can't really feel sorry for him, you know, mm. to be honest with you. You know, although I like to see him succeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the one who's most impressive is actually Simon. He's hovering there four minutes back, 14th, 15th position. He's won that time trying Paris Nice. We spoke about the improvements he's made in that area a few weeks ago. Everything's just looking made now for the Giro for him. Um, he was up there helping his brother today yeah. again. And I think these are Adam's opportunity to, to w- do what he can before we turn to that Giro, and it's all about Simon. So it's, he's in a brilliant position. You know, he always looked further down, really. And we, last week we were speaking about Bardet at Paris-Nice, finishing fifth. Almost a better place to finish than winning it, like Bernal is, because it, it bodes well for July in terms of spending those cookies or whatever you want to call them. But yeah, Simon's the one who really caught my eye this last week in Catalonia. And the, the Brit riding with him and Adam was James Knox, former Team Wiggins yeah. fan, and he's shown just how strong he is this week. Yeah. On the break in stage four, on the break early again today, and then at the end, riding for... And, riding a, sixth, for and a sixth place on an uphill finish as yeah. well. Yeah. Sixth place in the he's stage, a good so. little bike rider, you know. As, as Matt said, this is, you know, this is a race. There's no hiding in Tour of Catalonia is it's, it's it's a proper proper bike race and you know that bodes well again for the future really and, and in a team that are winning so much in Belgium front and classics to get overlooked isn't it a ride like it almost him. gets yeah that their their sort of grand tour ambitions almost get overlooked a little bit I yeah. know they had a guy on the podium in Walter last year and yeah, Henrik Mass yeah. and it's kind of like this is almost like a it always has been with this team it's always been a kind of a second thought an afterthought mm. really and they kind of have to do what they can when they can but for him individually brilliant result he's having, it looks like he's enjoying his bike racing you know when you see a young lad out there smiling you know, again, I follow a lot of bike runs on social media. It kind of helps with the job that I do. But to see him smiling and on the bike having a bit of a laugh, when he's performing well and enjoying his bike riding, I think he's in a good place. You feel like he's got yeah. a bit of freedom And I there, think he's he? actually he's been given a degree of, of lateral play. He was top 10 in the UAE Tour, yeah. a World Tour race. You know, he is given, he won't be given a lot of freedom, but when he has been given a degree of freedom, he's taken those opportunities and he's only going to get better and better. He's, he's a couple of years younger than the late Yates, but I think he's 23, isn't mm. he? And he's got a good future. You know, very, very powerful uh, young rider who's enjoying his, riding his bike at the moment. So De Koenig have also got uh, Remco Ivanapol, who we've not really touched on too much on the show so far but just to give him a, a little bit of an introduction he was 19 earlier this year he's junior world road race and time trial champion from Innsbruck last September uh, in his final year at junior level he won 23 of the 35 races he entered and that meant that he was able to skip the under 23 category that you would usually move on to at his age presumably because of the what they felt might be the lack of competition there for him and he's gone straight to world tour so one of the things I wanted to touch on here was that the Koenig team boss, uh, Patrick Lefebvre, has said publicly that Ivanapol is too fat uh, this week. Do you think that's fair? Is that, to... that actually words he used? Fat or overweight? Uh, I think word? it was too fat, yeah. Okay, that's, it's the so, language so to, is interesting so as well. To, to yeah. come out and, and say that yeah. about a young rider, a, about a 19-year-old rider publicly, where do we stand on that? Do we think that's a little bit unfair? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. Answer. I mean, I've got a lot of admiration for Patrick Lefebvre, but uh, sometimes he's a bit of a throwback. But I do, I admire him. I mean, look at the mm. success that he's garnered within that mm. team with Brian Holm, the experience at director level. So they're clearly doing something right. But quite often you see it. Um, do you remember Oleg Tinkov publicly slating the different end of the scale, but publicly slating Peter Sagan, mm. and then Peter Sagan went on to win the world, etc. Uh, although 
Pete Sagan is, is older, he's, more, he's, he's far more mature. When you're 19 years of age, I think that's quite a lot. I think, it, yeah, I think that's out of order. And because we, we talked about it before we came on air, you know, the focus on being light as, as a rider, you know, elite level these days. Yeah, is, it creates a is, lot of problems is, for riders. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, can, it can lead to depression, it can lead to things worse than that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to call that out. If, that, if that's what you said, I think that's out of order. Yeah, and Patrick tends to make kind of big, bold statements yeah. in order to put someone in their place, really. And, and obviously, I remember it was the last year they were touting him as the next Eddie Merckx. I've met him once. He seems like a lovely kid. He's got great parents and that. But, you know, one reason may be that he's come in and he kind of thinks he's it a bit and they want to just sort of take We don't know the full peg. story, do we? That could be... And, you yeah. know, they're, they're, Patrick, you know, is sometimes... Because at the same time, he'll defend his elder riders the likes of Elio yeah, of course. over the, the stuff that happened early in the season in Argentina. So it's it's it kind of doesn't add up, his behaviour, Patrick, sometimes. But that's him, you know, and I think... It's just the fact that he's done it publicly. We're here talking about it. It's it's not great for for a young nineteen year old kid. The Belgian press will get hold of it. You have to think of his parents. You know, ha- have they made the right? This is we're only in March, and you know, should he have stayed? Should he have gone to this team? Are they paying him a lot of money and expect more of him? It's just it's not the best man management, is it? Mm, when we've yeah. just been talking about, yeah. and he's been he's been riding well. I mean, I mean, he's, though for such a young rider, he's got a lot of followers on on social media and stuff, and he's got his own merchandise range. So there's there's quite a lot going on for a, a rider who's yet to properly prove himself at that he, at that elite level. He started well at San but, Juan as well. But he started well, yeah. He was third in the time trial yeah. in San San Juan, you know, and rode a hell of a lot on the front, looking after Julian Alaphilippe's aspirations in that race. So we don't know what's happened behind the scenes. Mm. Maybe. Some Something has happened. Maybe there's been a bit of a swag, a bit of arrogance. We don't know. You know, I'm I'm kind of speculating. Maybe it was a throwaway comment. Filippo Pizzato, Fasabortolo, when he went back in 2003, Giancarlo Ferretti did a similar thing. He's the only rider, you know, to go from junior to pro. Giancarlo Ferretti did a similar thing and publicly called out Pizzato and said he's too flash, he's too this, he's too that. And it's kind of, it's an old school kind of tactic going back to sort of football years of of Brian Clough and that really of kind of, you know, and when we think what's happened in football, because I have to talk about this a lot in my other job, you know, in terms of Mourinho losing dressing rooms and the players being more powerful than managers now, cycling still kind of stuck in the, I'd say stuck in the dark ages. It, you know, it should be like that. The managers are there for a reason, but it's kind of how football used to be. You know, the manager kind of making you know his his public statement about a rider and in order to put him in his place. But time will tell. And as Matt said, we don't really know the full full ins and outs of it. Do we think with the peloton as a whole, there is too much emphasis on power to weight ratio? Well, it's just part and parcel of cycling now. The bikes are getting lighter, the wheels are getting lighter, the handlebars are getting smaller. Everything is about speed now and watts, and it's all about power to weight. You know, it's, it's, it's simple maths, isn't it? If you're 68 kilos as opposed to 71, and you can hold 430 watts for half an hour, you'll go so much faster. And so that will project you into a higher place in a Grand Tour or on a st- summit finish or whatever. So unless it's managed properly with proper professional nutritionists in a team that guide you through it, people end up getting eating disorders that try and do it off their yeah, own back and, and stuff. And, and the I thing mean, is, you, you know, you, you don't... I mean, I remember I, mean, I, was, I could get pretty ripped, but that, that didn't start happening until I was about 23 years of age. You know, you, you carry weight differently. You, you, your physiology changes. Without knocking the lad, he's, he's a boy. You look at him, he's he not looks like a boy. He's a boy stroke young man. He's not only 19 years of age, just out of the junior ranks. And generally, young lads, unless they're, you know, really out of the ordinary, carry a little bit of extra weight anyway. But I think he just, he just looks like a normal lad on a bike. He's just... He's, Three years ago, he was playing elite football. So he, did, he, he looks a bit different. He looks like a gymnast or a boxer or something on a bike at the moment. But as I say, without blowing it out of proportion, we don't know what the background mm. is. Maybe, as Brad said, it's an old school way of putting him in his place. Perhaps there's been a bit too much attitude on board. I don't know. But it is a rather unorthodox way 
you know, of, of trying to pull somebody back into line, especially in the current climate of trying to look after the mental welfare of young riders. Brad, you went into the 2009 tour, of course, uh, that much lighter than you might usually would be mm. uh, in, an, in an effort to get on the podium or in an effort to take yellow. Is that sort of institutionalisation with diet and the way you approach food, is that stuck with you? Um, to a degree. I think I've let go of it a little bit now. I'm two and a half years into retirement, but initially it does. It does stick with you. And I had a transition period where I went back to the track. Yeah. So we were promoted to be a bit heavier anyway. But if you come straight out of a grand tour and you retire, as you have know, Walter last race, and you're going from you know your prime 69 kilos, it's, you will start piling weight on pretty quick. So I did have a transition period, but certain things do stick with you forever. If I ever sit down at a table with my family or wherever, I always take the centre of the bread out. It's just a, a habit. It's a proper old school. You know, proper old school. <laughs> take the centre of the bread out of a roll. Yeah. So you're just left with a crust because used to have this kind of what was the dough of a bread roll in france they used to say you say why don't you eat that and they used to take it and put it in a glass of water and it used to expand they say blocks your legs look imagine that in your stomach i'm the (laughs) same i'm the same you know it's just like these little things you know yeah Yeah, it just yeah center of a baguette at breakfast strip all that stuff out and just have the crispy (laughs) bit on the outside i'm the same that's a bit wrong really isn't it yeah um, so talking food, you were both teammates back in the day. We used to sit at breakfast together for the Linda McCartney. We used to team. sit at breakfast. We, 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 we <laughs> sat on, on one singular occasion one for time. a rather sad yeah. breakfast. We went to a hotel in Dorking, I think it was, wasn't yeah, it? I remember it better than me. It was yeah. Dorking, was it? It was it, a right? travel in or a Bernie in at the time. And, um, yeah, the manager didn't turn up. And I think Sean Yates walked in and said, guys, it's over. Yeah. And we were all sat there. We'd all just got this brand new kit. Track suits on. And it was just panic stations. Everyone thought it was an April Fool's joke, although it was March, January. Um, and that was it then. And I think by, everyone had scattered off because we were near Heathrow getting flights. And there was kind of the British contingent that just took, went to the bar <laughs> yeah. and ordered Guinness. So and there was me, Matt, <laughs> John Tanner, who was an amazing bike rider. Yeah. Russell Downing and Mark Scanlon, an yeah. Irish junior world champion, and we all kind of sat there going, right, what are we going to do now then? <laughs> I'm scratching our heads, yeah. Well, just... what, what did you do? So you're, you're, Because your paths took very different directions Well, I went back to the on. world-class performance plan who had the track squad, so I went back with Steve Cummins and all that, so I was lucky I could go back. You were only 21, weren't you? You were still a very young man, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Did the track worlds that year and then pitch for another. They used to do races in France and that, which yeah. was great. But obviously, Matt, you were, you were a bit further down the line. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to get a ride with, with Kofidis. Um, um, we just sent a, a rider called Inigo Cuesta, who was on board for the Lynn McCartney team at that time, got that spot. So I ended up putting the bike away. Actually, no, I didn't put the bike away. I sold it on jun- Junction 16 of the M6 for cash to pay the mortgage. Signed on the dole for a week. Got a job working at Morrison's as a, as a night film manager. So from doing the Giro the year before to filling shelves, you know, that's, that's quite, it was quite humbling. Hardcore, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it, I was, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was in a pretty bad place. I didn't touch my bike for six weeks. Mm. Eventually got my mojo back. I just, like Brad, I just wanted to ride my bike for a bit. So got a little sponsorship deal with Sigma Sports, hence my long relationship with Ian Whittingham and Jason Turner, the owners of, of Sigma, really good mates. Um, got back on the bike and had to make a couple of decisions and ended up joining the police where I spent the following 12 years and then at the same time rode at domestic level for Sigma Sports for was that, that during that their successful time. period with it was it was it was a, and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I just did I just did live stuff and session stuff, so well, I was never <laughs> technically part of the band, uh, which was a bit of a disappointment. Um, to, to, yeah, it was sad. I'm, I'm still not speaking to Sting now. Artistic differences. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was the, it was the cod reggae element uh, that did it for me. Brad, you never fancied the police force? Um, no, no, no. I mean, I, was, I said Matt, I was 21 at the time, yeah. so I just signed with Linda McCartney after the Olympic Games, and um, was fortunate enough I could fall back to that. British programme which has always been a mainstay it's still there today 
And yeah, we did went, did races in France, and I attracted the attention of a few other French teams. Then, and that's, I went to La France du Jour the following year. And then you had Athens, and then it was Athens a couple mm. of years later, and so on and so forth. So it was a different time then cycling. You know, we talk about Linda McCartney, which was the British team at the time, which were making waves. Before that, it was A and C that had got into the Tour de France, and and now we're talking about Team Sky's this world and British, you know richest men in the country sticking 30 30 40 million pounds a year into a team a british team we're talking about three or four or five british riders that could win a grand tour this year in today's podcast but at this time we were just happy to be doing races like the challenge mallorca yeah all the build-up races to the giro and if we could make you know they got a wild card into the giro didn't they yeah. so it was just i mean that's the best part of 20 years ago now and it's such a different time cycling how far it's come isn't yeah, it yeah i mean just to put without and you've seen the whole from, from yeah the beginning, I, i've seen it from you know riding in the 80s for great britain team mm. when we used to i mean I have to give the jersey back off yeah we, we got you know we got our kit in a bin line if you were last to the to the bag of kit you, you might have got the wrong size tracksuit which you had to give back at the end you know world championships 89 in chambry where le monde won yeah. I rode the amateurs. You know, only wonderful memories because we didn't have anything else to compare it to. But back then, you looked at the Russians, you look at your Ekimovs, and, and you, we looked at the Australians with their structure. The slogan was, we know we're sh- but at least we have a laugh. Yeah, that that what that if they back then there were there weren't hashtags, but that would have been the British cycling hashtag with the greatest of respect because there was you know a small group of people doing the best they could with very little resource. Yeah, and then then it changed. Full time jobs know? as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean it was it was run out of Northampton, you know uh, Kettering, in fact, um, the home of the Corby the trouser, trouser Press. press. Uh, yeah, huh. the the yeah the Corby Trouser Press two thousand being the best model uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but no different times. So I've, I've kind of seen that transition when and when even ten years after that when we rode the Giro for the first time our squad so the whole team not just the team that did the Giro 10 riders that was the squad nine to ride the Giro mm. so yeah. you know there you go so that, you and we were so if you look at the level now you know you know, solid pro Conti teams aren't getting into Grand Tours with squads of 24 25 riders you can just see, see how far the sport has come yeah. in, in, in 20 years and you think of Ineos now I don't know what the actual fund is that they're putting in we're talking 30 40 million aren't we but you think 20 years ago when Harrods came in yeah. under Dodie Fired was it yeah I, wrote for, I, wrote I wonder for how much yeah, yeah. he actually put in because it probably about 100,000 wasn't it, it, it <laughs> mate it wasn't even that no, no so I it just shows that. Kind of how, for fear of legal ramifications, how far the sports come. but yeah, it was uh, it's a different time. But to be honest with you, you know, I've got no regrets. You know, there was I've been I've been shafted a few times, but I look at where I am now, and I'm in a really privileged position. You know, sitting with with Sir Bradley and yourselves, you know, working for Eurosport, etc. I'm having a good time. But yeah, my path was yeah. a very very different one to Bradley's. But here we are having a natter about it, and uh, yeah, generally only only pretty fond memories. But signing on the dole wasn't much fun. Okay, well, more to come on the Bradley Wiggins show right after this. In 2019, cycling fans across Europe will be able to watch over 30 UCI World Tour events live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player, available on the app and online via eurosport.co.uk. Eurosport Player also allows viewers to catch up and relive all the action on demand. Eurosport will bring fans unrivaled expertise and analysis from all the best moments of the 2019 season. So there has been more than one uh, Ghent Wevelgem race today, not only one for the men's peloton, of course, uh, one for the women's, but also we've got the under-17 women's title won today by Zoe Baxted. Obviously, we had Magnus Baxted. We did, yes. guest last week. And I wasn't going to um, you know, rave about in front of him because at the end of the day, she's his daughter, and I'm sure that's far more important than how well she does on her bike. But she's something special, uh, Zoe. I think junior world's medalist last year, like her mother, Megan, back in in 1995 
and um, clearly an exceptional talent and um, you know wish her all the best in the future and I think you were saying Matt that you really rate her chances the next few yeah, years yeah I mean we uh, you know, commentated with Magnus over the last couple of years and uh, he's always keen you know when he's not commentating he's generally looking after their welfare you know not just as athletes but obviously his daughters but to see them nurtured and then flourishing like this I mean uh, you know I wouldn't bet against her winning a world championships in the next few years she's really one to watch but more importantly she's a lovely girl as well met her on a few occasions lovely down to earth demeanour but remarkably strong um, yeah she's got a very very bright future well congratulations to Zoe and, uh, and also to Magnus of course um, Kirsten, and Megan and Megan as well all of the backsteads <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, Kirsten Wilde, or Kirsten Wilde, I should say, won the senior women's race, um, coming out on top in a bunch sprint there. It's been a bit of uh, a season of Dutch dominance so far. No massive surprises in the women's peloton, I think. Um, Anna van Vluten taking Strada Bianchi um, and Mariana Voss winning uh, Trofeo Binder last weekend. Matt? Yeah, well, Wilde actually won midweek as well. You know, yeah, she's a former yeah. world road race champion. You know, won the, Straight uh, off the track. Tour well, as well, she? Yeah, she's, she's uh, very, very powerful. It's no real surprise that, that she's won going where we go. I mean, the form she's got at the moment but uh trophy binder won in a small group finish that's one of the hardest women's classics as well to win but good good to see mariana voss back on top as well uh, so marianne voss is co-leader this year at ccc live um with her teammate ashley mormon passier the south african champion um who of course finished second in the giro rossa uh last year um i caught up with ashley earlier this week and she began by telling me exactly what it's like riding with mariana you know i remember just kind of 10 years back um riding with Mariana Voss and, and being really green and inexperienced. And, you know, she was um, the rider to look up to. And um, now sort of 10 years later to be um, co-leading with her on a team, I think is quite a fast turnaround. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really proud to be in this position. And, yeah, it's really amazing to be riding on a team um, with Mariana and, and to be in that co-leadership position. Talking of crazy, you, you've written that or you've said recently that you might be a little crazy for loving Strada Bianchi. And, and you and Mariana were obviously both in the final shake-up for that, uh, although Annemiek van Vluten was sort of beyond reach uh, with her solo break. Were you both going for the win there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we were playing, well, no, I know we were playing sort of the cards game, you know. Um, so, you know, we had two in the final and obviously ideally you'd, you'd want to be able to use that to your advantage. Quite honestly, unfortunately, I wasn't having my best day for various reasons. So, you know, I, I just didn't feel like I was in the position that I wanted to be in where we really could play the game um, with our numbers there. So in the end, I think, um, you know, it came down, especially to the final where both Mariana and I were both sort of at the limit and we just did what we could, um, you know. So it wasn't kind of, it was a really strong team performance. And so that was a good thing. But in the end, um, it didn't really play you know, to our favour in terms of actually finishing it off. Mm. And so with races like Trofeo Binder last weekend and presumably for much of the classic season, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is it a case of, by and large, you'll be putting the work in for, for Mariana, whereas when the, the season starts to, to really hit the climbs, that's when that relationship will flip and she will be pulling for you? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in the case of um, Trofeo Binder, um, my sort of real target to be in top, top shape is is more towards um, Ardennes Classic time and then to carry that into May. 
um, with Tour of California also being a big target for me. So I'm sort of in the position right now where I'm quite happy to play, um, you know, a more aggressive role um, in the team uh, because it's good preparation for my target races. So that's how we uh, went into Bender, um, is that I was going to be um, the antagonist and quite happy to be aggressive maybe a bit earlier on and you know, if I managed to get away, then great. I had the go ahead to play that card. Um, but if it came down to a sprint from a bunch or, or a, a breakaway group, um, that we would go for Mariana. Mm. And so that's exactly how it happened. You know, it worked out perfectly because, you know, I think it's always a bit of a gamble, although Mariana is a really great sprinter, especially in that kind of a sprint, you know, with a corner and a little bit uphill, something a little bit more technical. She's really great, but she's kind of lacking the confidence. And I think that showed um, yesterday at Street Aksapana when it comes to a really big bunch sprint. Mm. So, um, yeah, it all played perfectly into our hands because me being aggressive, obviously, broke up or split the peloton big time and, and the big sprinters or the main sprinters were, were dropped at that point. But yeah, I must say until we actually like heard the feedback and saw the coverage afterwards, I actually didn't realize how close it was um, mm. in terms of, of the sprinters chasing back on. So it was just purely instinctual. You know, when we got to the bottom of that final sort of quite technical descent and it was the straight to the finish line, and we were eight riders away and Mariana was there. It was totally instinctual that it was my job to just make the pace hard and make sure no further attacks happened. And then, of course, to make sure the group didn't rejoin. And then in the end, it was really, really close. As we took that final corner, I mean, the, the chase bunch was um, actually caught us. But mm. yeah, it was perfect teamwork on the day and a great way to win a race. And when you're working as part of your team, I mean, CCC live stand out anyway in, in the orange, but you've not worn orange very long. You you as a, a, an individual rider stand out, especially when you're amongst your team, now that you've got your African Championships jersey back. Um, yeah, exactly. So it's really, um, really great to be back in the National Champs jersey and to wear the South African flag every, um, every time that I race. Um, but yeah, it does mean that I, I look a little bit different to the rest of my teammates. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in a way because I really do like the orange. I think it stands out. But I think my white jersey with the South African flag is also a jersey that stands out. And I, you know, obviously got some really good feedback about people saying, oh, it's so great to see you back in the jersey. It, it really belongs to you. Um, so, yeah, it's really great to be in the jersey. And I think it's actually quite amazing all the positive feedback that as a team that we got after that um, performance at Binder, you know, mm. it's like people don't really expect to see that, you know, to see me on the front pulling um, for Mariana. And of course, it does mean that I'm sort of sacrificing something because I also have a relatively good um, sprint. So I probably could have finished on, on the podium, but I knew Mariana is just exceptional in those type of finishes. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think that's the thing with women cycling. The more we get exposure like we are, you know, with coverage and people being able to see what we're doing, then it really makes those kind of efforts worthwhile because that's always been something that's um, been a bit of a – disadvantage to women cycling is that because um, it was only really the results on paper that people saw doing an effort like that especially as a race leader myself you know you might have felt like oh you know 
no one would have noticed or no one saw it. Um, and not that I'm doing it for attention or for people to see, but it, it just really is great when you get all the positive feedback, you know, about how amazing the teamwork was and that was so exciting. Then it really makes that effort worthwhile. On the classic season as well, one of the races I particularly wanted to talk to you about was Umloop Het Newsblad in Belgium, obviously, um, and particularly because it was thrown into, into disarray, really, when your race starts on the same course as the men's race. It starts 10 minutes behind the men's race. Nicole Hanselman, your old Bigler Pro teammate, goes off the front and, and gets an early uh, sort of two-minute gap uh, on, a, on a solo breakaway. And then she's asked to stop the side of the road by the organisers because she's getting too close. She's catching up with the men's peloton to the point where she could see the support cars for the men's race in front of her. So the big question I wanted to ask here is, is this a very neat metaphor for women's cycling catching up with men's cycling? And it's, it's not only a, a very accurate metaphor, but it's, it's literally happened. Um, I think it was it was a really good thing, to be honest. So although it was really um, frustrating for us in that race scenario, it's a good thing for women's cycling because it really does show and highlight that um, the level of women's cycling is, is just getting better and better every year and that it's actually really high at the moment. And I think it's not only Omlop um, Nisblad, but even Strada Bianchi, for example, with the exposure that we did get. I mean, it, it was scheduled to be, I think, the last hour of the race and it ended up being only half an hour because we mm. were half an hour ahead of, of schedule. So it's just showing that the, the pace in the peloton um, is that much faster. The level is, is super, super high. And I mean, I don't think you can ever really compare us to men's cycling because we are different. Uh, it is a slightly different sport, but I think it's just a good advertisement for women's cycling that, that the level is really that high and that we're not boring or like people used to think. It's not a tea party. You know, we're there to race and we're racing fast. So for you, Ash, looking, looking ahead, presumably your major focus will be uh, the Giro Razor this year, is that fair to say? The first focus is actually on Ardennes classics, so mm. Amstel Gold, Flechelon, Liège, Bastogne, Liège. Um, and then soon after that would be Tour of Yorkshire and Tour of California. Um, so that would be my first peak for the season, middle April to middle of May. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, then the next big goal would be the Giro Rosa. And it looks to be an exciting uh, course again with the hilltop finish on the Gavia and I think also really challenging individual time trials. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You put yourself out there last year, didn't you, before the race and said, look, this year we're gonna, it's going to be the first year that we see an African rider on a Grand Tour podium. Um, and then you, went, you, you took up the mantle and went and did it. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I was a bit annoyed by um, hearing, you know, obviously Doug Ryder, who does an amazing job, and obviously I am really, you know, want to say great work from him, but, you know, it's always this focus on Dimension Data being Africa's team and the talk of, you know, getting the first African on, on a Grand Tour podium to, to come from Team Dimension Data. And I think I was just, you know, sort of stamping my my ground there and saying hey don't forget about the woman you know don't forget about me i'm also african and so yeah then i set myself a, a big goal i had already publicly announced it basically um so yeah i suppose that kind of added to my motivation during the giro and it was really nice to finish off on the podium obviously it would be wonderful to win and and that's still a goal but second place was also really amazing. Yeah, one step higher this year, hopefully. It, tell us a little bit about uh, about where you live, because you, you, you live in this beautiful 17th century sort of Catalan. Is it, would we call it a masia? Would we call it an, an estate, a mansion? Yeah, so I live on this uh, beautiful uh, Catalan estate, as you said.
said, um, the traditional name for it is is Can Campulia, but we are, are running a cycling tourism business um, called Rock Porpoise Cycling. And yeah, it's we believe it's perfectly positioned. Um, you know, it's just a little bit outside of Girona, outside of the hustle bustle and, you know, all the traffic, but perfectly positioned at the foot of, of Rocacorba and above the Banyoles Lake. Um, so we have beautiful views of, of the mountains and the countryside, but we literally 1K from, from the town of Banyoles, um, which is also quite a, a sporting town, um, probably more popular with the triathletes at this point because of the lake and the open water swimming lane. But yeah, I mean, we love living here. Um, you know, we have such great access to amazing roads that are really quiet, um, good diversity, you know, in the terrain from, you know, big climbs, Rocacorba, literally on our doorstep and not far from from the big climbs like um, Voltaire, but we also have access to sort of rolling hills or flatter roads closer to the coast. Um, And then it's literally a half an hour ride to Girona if you want to have a coffee at La Fabrica. So perfect. Yeah, it's in a sensational position. Are you allowed to mention the two of the people that you you had to out negotiate in order to to buy this property yeah the property was um very sought after um it's something that just came onto the market sort of suddenly um because um the guy who inherited it his parents passed away and he didn't want to hold on to it any longer um so he just wanted to get rid of it and yeah i mean PK uh, was one of the people um, who who wanted to buy it, and yeah, we also had some competition with a with a Dutch couple that were very keen um, to buy the property. So we had to to jump in fast, and it, it felt like a little bit of a race, but in the end, we won. And um, yeah, it's really cool. So one last question for you, Ash, and it's, it's to ask you if you've got a question for Brad. Yeah, I'd like to ask um, Brad what his fastest time is up Rockacorba. You're listening to The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport. So, Ashley had a question for you there, Brad. Uh, your fastest time on Rockacorba, can you can you confirm that you were the record holder? Well, I believe I was, but, you know, I'm thinking that Lance and all those guys lived down there for quite a while before me. Um, I can't believe that they didn't maybe have one. But it wasn't paved, that's the thing. Right, so, well, there you go, only, maybe, yeah. So I, 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 seem, I, I remember Christian van der Velde had it, and he kind of set the standard... Then I think I, I maybe Tom Danielson may have took it, and I took it from Tom Danielson. I had twenty seven thirty nine in two thousand ten, so nine years ago now. And actually, it was my worst year in Grand Tours two thousand ten. So, I think that was the only time I did it. I never obviously had a run out. I wasn't living in Girona during two thousand eleven and twelve, so didn't get to do it again. But um, I seem to think after that, certainly it would have been broken by now. And I found out today that maybe I thought James Knox may have took it with the guy we talked about earlier. James Knox is King of the Mountains currently. Yeah, so Ash is currently Queen of the Mountains for Rockacorba, which we should probably just give a little bit of context to as well, Matt, before we come to you on this, because I know you've ridden it very, very yeah, recently too. Yeah, with with Ashley actually, um, uh, we we rode up it before. Christmas. I wasn't. Uh, I was going in reasonable form, but carrying about eight more kilos than what was it, <laughs> than what, usually. I think I did it about thirty thirty-two minutes. That's pretty good, though. Man. But that was all right. And I stopped halfway to did take a quick Instagram photo. Did you start the bridge? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a little flat run into before it kicks up. But it's, yeah. uh, if you've never been there, it's cracking. The views are immense. But the it's a road to nowhere, isn't it? Just like stops yeah, at the top. Radiator. Well, it's a thirteen-point-eight yeah. kilometer long climb from start to finish. Average gradient of five point seven percent. Maximum of ten point five. But as we were saying earlier, there are two downhill sections there where you, you get your legs back a little bit. So realistically it's probably more like an average of when you're climbing an average of 7% would we say I think that's fair to say yeah um, so 
Matt, sorry, your time was? I think it was around 32 minutes, give or take, around 32. Brad, previous previous record holder around the... Well, I had 27.39. I mean, I don't know, I can't speak for what other people did. But James was... Knox currently 27 minutes. Michael Barry at the time was seconds. all over it. He's kind of the voice of Girona. He had a radio station there and he kind of knew everything and that was kind of, he said that was a record as far as he was aware. As I say, at the time when we were living there, there was about 50 professional cyclists lived there. I think there's about 250 it's now, loads, isn't there? Yeah, there's <laughs> absolutely loads. It's a proper hub now, isn't it? So, yeah, it's an amazing place. Sort of capital of Europe, really, for cycling now mm. in terms of where... Pros are stationing themselves and amateurs. We've got a few guys living down there as well. So Ash Road, uh, Ghent, Wevelgam today. We were watching the men's race just before uh, we've we've started to record here. Uh, We're trying to call it, was that final break going to stay away? Was it going to end as, it was known as the Sprinters Classic, isn't it? Or at least it used to be. Was it going to end in a sprint? In the end, it did come down to a sprint into a headwind, uh, which which is always fun, not necessarily for the the riders. Um, So number one today, Alexander Kristoff. Number two, John Degenkolb. And number three, again, close but no cigar for him, uh, Ollie Nason. Um, at Agi 2R so second at San Remo for him second in the final stage of Paris-Nice uh, you've got a feel for him haven't you? Yeah Oliver Narsens is having a, you know, a wonderful run this year so far he's got to be one of the favourites for Roubaix and Flanders which are coming up and remember Ghent Webblegem is a, you know, a wonderful race to win out on its, on its own but it's, it's not a monument we've got the two monuments coming up on the next couple of weekends but it does give you a good idea um, and Christoph, the way that he won that sprint he didn't just win it he absolutely blew everybody away he did so he had Gaviria in the break early on so uh, they had that kind of card to play so Christoph could rest up and Brad they weren't many left in the bunch either was there Luke, it was good to see Luke Rowe in the mix yeah, he was, was never going to win from a sprint I but thought Luke special mention to Luke because he really gave it a go a few yeah. times he went across that break early on and he really you know obviously it's a tough one to win solo again with a game it always tends to come down to a sprint but I think that really bodes well as isolated as he was from a Team Sky point of view for the Tour of Flanders because I think that really is more well, he's going to be in good shape yeah. he's, just, he's yeah. just in, in very very good shape um, but it, as a sprint I mean it was so difficult to call I was naturally calling Viviani because he's just been the man when it comes to sprint this year but it wasn't a normal sprint and it seemed all over the place but you know Quickstep, Demunker, whatever they call themselves now Deconic yeah. yeah that's the one they <laughs> you know they really spent some money today didn't they kind of Stebar really put a big well, it was nice in. of them not to win one yeah it's very 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 good I think it's actually good I mean uh, you know nobody minds a dominant team but first you know they've, they've only lost one single day classic this year 20 wins only Astana are ahead now 21 mm. wins uh, but good to see Chris they've had more significant wins as you say. yeah, yeah. I, I definitely I mean yeah, yeah Astana picked up kind of uh, wins in, sm- in kind of smaller stage races that but in terms of single day dominance with a different raft of riders that's the thing about De Kerning, you know that they lost, lost Gaviria this year they lost Nicky Terpstra they still won 20 races that just shows this, this, whatever, whatever you say about Lefebvre there's some spirit that they're fostered there's a real spirit yeah. of belief in that team but uh, they still rode well as a unit Stebar was up there Gilbert was doing Gilbert a lot of work again, Lampard was doing a lot of work but do you know what? You know, it's good to see a rider with the calibre of Alexander Kristoff getting his best ever result in that race. And uh, yeah, he's going to add another dimension to the classics coming up. Mm. The Wolfpack uh, will be back, we, we fear. But yep. uh, that might be a new hashtag, actually. Oh, yes. Sort of, uh, <laughs> So better than the one we mentioned earlier. So. Yes, yeah, I think <laughs> so. so. I think so. Uh, just on that, actually, Brad, did you ever call yourselves uh, a, a nickname at uh, Team Sky? No. <laughs> I think oh. a few people had a few nicknames. I'm first, looking but... forward to reading the comments section on this one now. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, well, that's about it for this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling. We'll be back next Monday, and with the races coming thick and fast, we'll be looking back on the Tour of Flanders. Until then, you can stay up to date with Brad on social media at... Sir Wigo. Sir Wigo. And Matt... 
Real Stevens. Real Stevens. Yeah, Matt Stevens. There's a few of them, isn't there? Well, yeah, except, <laughs> it, it, except Matt Stevens, no now a manager at Morrison's. That's it, yeah, yeah. What could have been, eh, hey, Brad? Um, and if you enjoy the show, please do subscribe, share, and also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. But for now, from me, Graham Wilgos, from Brad. It's a good night from him. <laughs> and it's, it's, from and it's oh, well, we're coming to you. And Matt Stevens, <laughs> it's a good night from you. No, it's been great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, chaps. The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.